I want to share a story. Well, it's more than a story. It's a study that seems hard to believe, but it's going to open up some possibilities that you probably haven't thought about. After every 10 trials, one group of beginners was given um, the option of choosing between putting with an orange, yellow, or white ball. And so someone came, the experimenter came to them after every 10 trials and said, what would you like to use on the next 10? And they picked the color. Another group of participants was yoked or, or matched to their counterpart in the other group. So if their counterpart had chosen the yellow balls for that 10 set of trials, then the yoked performer who didn't have a choice was simply given the yellow balls to work with for those 10 trials. And some people stayed with their colors uh, throughout. Uh, they had six opportunities to choose which set of, um, which color balls they wanted every 10 trials. And um, other people mixed it up. So there was no rhyme or reason to the choices per se, but the opportunity for choice, six times versus no times, seemed to be um, important because the group that had the choice of balls, and actually there is no known connection between the color of the ball and how well people putt. Some golf companies might might want to create that impression that color makes a difference, but certainly not in putting where you don't have something happening very quickly. Um, in any event, um, there was no relationship in our study either between the color that was chosen and the success of the putt. But what we found is that the group that had the choices, no matter what they chose, did better when they came back for their retention test. So they had higher accuracy scores um, when they came back the next day. This is just one aspect of motivational learning. And today we're gonna be talking about two things. Number one, the role of positivity and confidence for effective learning. And number two, the need to be autonomous or have some choice in the learning process. Welcome to the Golf Science Lab, a place for you to learn what's truly going on in the world of golf research so that you can take these insights and improve your game. I'm excited to have you here is some of the research and techniques that we're going to talk about today have truly, really surprised me. Uh, and I'm excited to dive into the seventh episode in our first season on motor learning. If you haven't heard, we're hosting the first ever virtual summit on motor learning and golf. I'm really excited about it. If you want to learn as much as possible about the topic of learning practice and performance, you'll want to check this out. We're going to have presentations from some of the best in the business, everyone from Dr. Tim Lee, Trent Werner, Dr. Brett McCabe of The Mindside, Adam Young, Matthew Cook, and many more. Go over to MotorLearningLab.com. That's MotorLearningLab.com. Check out quickly as the early bird tickets are only available until November 1st. That is November 1st and it's coming up quickly. So head over there and check those out now. We're going to dive into two concepts today. Anything you can do as an instructor to make people feel more confident or increase their self-efficacy is beneficial for performance. I'm sure golfers can relate to that. If you're not confident, you're not going to hit the ball well. And so many studies have shown that confidence or self-efficacy is really critical for optimal performance and learning. The other motivational variable that is also very powerful is learner autonomy. 
So practice conditions that involve choices or just a choice and that support people's need for autonomy are really beneficial. In the intro, we talked a little bit about autonomy and the positive impacts that choices can have on learning. And the voice you heard was Dr. Rebecca Luthwaite. Rebecca Luthwaite, and I'm a researcher in the area of the effects of motivation on motor learning, um, which has implications for uh, athletes, coaches, as well as uh, physical therapists and patients, uh, because when we pair motivation with the need or opportunity to learn, the learning is better. And our other guest for today is Dr. Gabrielle Wolf. My name is Gabrielle Wolf. I'm a professor of kinesiology at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and I study motor learning. I want to dive into this concept of autonomy and choices a bit deeper. The general premise being, if you give the learner a choice, the retention of that task is longer. In layman's terms, you know, you'll remember how to hit that flop shot better next week and not just today. The choices you give the learner don't even have to be related to the task. So you can give them an unrelated choice, such as "Mm, which picture should we hang in our lab? (laughs) Um, And they will learn better. So it sounds kind of crazy, but equally unrelated choices you give people support their need for autonomy and enhance their learning. And that's what we heard in the intro story about the color of golf balls. This simple choice improved the effectiveness of learning. People like having choices. And so there's also an affective component here um, that helps people learn. Positive affect um, turns out to be very important for learning. Tends to release dopamine, which is critical for learning. So I think it's two things that uh, play a role here. One being self-efficacy or confidence being enhanced and the other being the positive affect, the positive emotions that uh, are associated with having a choice. So practically, what should you change in your everyday actions because of this simple insight? First of all, whenever I I teach or um, ask somebody uh, who's a learner, they're trying something, I always start by asking, not telling. So I find some, some small thing. And this is part of what this describes to me is that it doesn't have to be something major that you ask someone about. Although people have asked, I think, pretty significant things, uh, given choices about very significant things. And surprisingly, sometimes even things that you think are counterintuitive to learning. For example, fewer practice trials rather than more. People who got to choose and choose fewer actually did better than people who were who had more practice trials but no choice, for example. So small things matter and doesn't always have to be about the specific task you're looking at. But think of it as a, a little bit bigger picture. You walk in, you're working with somebody, you think about how can I provide a little support uh, for this person's autonomy. So I might ask him what kind of thing do you think worked best in practice for you yesterday? Or I might say to somebody who's um, trying to regain mobility after a stroke, so which feels better to you to move with your right leg first or your left leg when you're going up the stairs? So 
I just engage them in saying, you know, you're definitely a collaborative partner in this story. I'm not going to impose anything, but you have insights. You're the only one with some of these insights that, that can offer them. Uh, so let me, what, what are you thinking about it? Okay, let's try that. So also uh, you'll hear the language of autonomy support is not about I want you to do something. It's about let's do this thing together. So it's we, not I, and there are no must, shoulds, have tos in the, in the conversation. It's more about presenting things that you think will be beneficial, but having wiggle room in terms of which way to go with them. The language of autonomy support is about let's do this together. And I think that phrase really sums it up. That's really what the teacher and coach is, someone there to work with the student in their growth and progression, not trying to force them into any certain way, but supporting. This concept really makes sense. And if you're a teacher coach, you've probably seen this play out. Along with this next aspect of motivational learning we're going to talk about. We used to think that motivation was sort of a temporary influence on performance. So if you had uh, some positive and sometimes people even thought about negative motivation to do something that this sort of uh, energized you to to perform better but now we think that actually pairing up positive motivational factors with early learning enhances the learning so when we see two groups of people and one group simply for example uh, gets information about their score on a given trial of a motor task and the other group gets not only their score on that trial but some sense that they're doing well relative to others or relative to their own improvement when they get that additional um, sense of, of success they do better than simply getting a score so it's sort of a sense that hey I'm uh, I'm not bad at this. I can do this. And that seems to um, potentiate their learning. And when you come back a day later, they have actually retained more of what they learned the first day. Or if you transfer to another um, somewhat related task, they also do better at that than people who didn't get that additional boost of a sense of success. I love this. Positive words create better learning. It's something you might have guessed or even think is a little too obvious or childish, whatever it is. You should change that thought because we're talking about better results and we're talking about improvement that is retained. Yes, that's it. Sort of finding finding the positive, looking at the glass is half full. Um, and sometimes you need a coach to help you with that. Sometimes uh, people can do it themselves, depending on the skill involved, the task involved. But uh, yes, finding the positive. Uh, for example, there have been a few studies that looked at how people define success. There was a study, it's, it's uh, in press but not yet published by Palmer um, and colleagues. And what they did is, uh, it was a golf putting task for novices. And they had two target circles on the mat, the golf putting mat, and the, the actual target, like golf hole-like target in the middle of those two concentric circles. And one group, they told them that you should consider it a good putt if you get uh, the ball within the um, 
smaller circle around the target. And the other group, they told you should consider it a success if you get your ball within this larger circle. So blue and red circles, the large circle group, interestingly enough, uh, did better, learned the task better um, than the group that had the smaller target, even though both were actually putting to the same target hole. Um, so in a way, how you define success means people derive a sense of success and uh, this has implications for how you'll learn. So if you, it's, it's important that you interpret the, the action, the, the performance, so that this, it can be placed in a, in a positive light. And, you know, I think this has implications for um, coaches and teachers. If they get too hypercritical too fast, then there is this um, dampening of the learning effect. Um, so it, it pays to uh, accentuate the positive and also to invite, which is kind of connect to the next topic, is there are really several ways you can go about creating this, this uh, positive motivational um, opportunity. And one is to enhance the sense that one's been successful as you go forward. And the other is to provide people with opportunities to choose or to have autonomy in their actions. So one way you could pair these things is um, tell people early on it's, it's quite good if you can hit this target or be close to it in this way, provide them with positive feedback. You um, you know, for that early trial, it was excellent, you know. And then the next thing you say, let me know when you'd like to get some more specific feedback. So it's an invitation to have to take a little charge of when you uh, get further detail or when you um, dive into it deeply, more deeply. It's all about perception in how you perceive success. A coincident timing class where people had to press a button when the LED light came, which was speeding down a runway, came to um, the target area. And people who, who had a larger zone to consider it successful, so 30 milliseconds instead of 4 milliseconds, did better at the task and learned it better. So the next day when they came back, they were better able to uh, perform the task than the had a very small zone of 4 milliseconds. And one... Um, one thing that became apparent was that the group that had the four millisecond zone, um, they ended up having only, I think, 6% of the trials that were in that zone. So they came away from that experience thinking, I'm not hitting the target very often. Whereas the other group with, with the larger zone ended up within that zone about 58% of the time. So they had a much more significant um, history of, of uh, feeling successful on the task. So those are the only two I'm aware of where, where this issue of um, the definition of success has, has been um, examined directly like this. But um, the implications of it are that we need to consider that it's important that people experience early success as they learn. Um, this is not sort of an experiential issue, but it might be something whereby the, the organization of, of um, the nervous system provides some 
enhancement to learning when you have pairing it with something that creates a positive motivational kind of experience. So it's really look for the positive, uh, find something positive, don't start uh, sort of deploying the standards of an expert when someone is in the stage of learning. So if you're trying to break 90, don't be comparing yourself to a PGA Tour player stats. You're not going to be confident and it's negatively going to impact your learning and performance. But you know, one fact that I found crazy. So what if we compared the negative, the neutral and the positive response? And this honestly is a little scary if you think about in most cultures to hide the emotions and believe that being overly positive is bad somehow. We have done an, uh, several experiments where we first started out saying, well, we don't really know, is it that negative um, is a detriment to performance or that positive is a benefit or what? So when we have three groups, a group that receives, say, negative feedback or no feedback or positive feedback, so we have a control group and a negative and positive, what, what typically happens is that the negative feedback group, for example, who might believe that they're doing worse than their peers, and the group that gets no additional information but their own performance information, those groups typically look like each other. Um, whereas the group that receives a sense of um, success or progress or competence, that group tends to look different than those other two. So. We're not the first to think maybe it is the positive and not what happens on the negative side that's really affecting it. But I think that the jury's still out on that. Uh, so I wouldn't give negative um, unless it was asked for. So if someone said to me, okay, I know I'm doing generally well, but I really want to know what could I change to you know, make a difference, I would, be, I would observe what I could about what I thought would be helpful to them. It wouldn't be negative in the sense of punitive or in the sense of an angry tone or anything that I would leave away. But I would just simply um, say, well, I think maybe if you think about, you know, extending your arms a bit more, I would actually do it in, a, in an external intentional focus way. Think about, you know, pointing the club at the target toward the end of the swing. Then that would be, you know, information about how to do that task better but it would be done in a way where they had asked for it, they were ready for it, and you simply gave them a way to become more competent. So that's kind of, some studies have shown that the negative doesn't appear to detract so much as the positive appears to enhance. So let's make a change. Well, I think one thing, I've become much more conscious of not having a sort of neutral tone to things. To, to definitely uh, try to celebrate when someone has small victories, um, to point out to them what they did that they didn't even know they did well. Highlight the things people do well to enhance their confidence and also give them autonomy and induce an external focus. That last point, external focus, well, you'll just have to tune in next week to learn more about that. Thank you so much, Dr. Wolf and Dr. Luthwaite, for sharing with us. Make sure to check out the upcoming Motor Learning Summit at motorlearninglab.com. This episode is hosted and written by me, Cordy Walker. You can follow me on Twitter at Cordy Walker. 
Make sure to find us on iTunes or Stitcher and subscribe to the podcast. This was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Published Productions. And we will see you all next time on the Golf Science Lab. 